Chapter 25 of Bible Study and the Book of Acts. This is about Paul's trial before Festus. So he had, Paul had been in prison for two years, um, and the person who was in charge, Felix, then was succeeded by Festus, and so he's still in prison. So the story's picking up. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his consul, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they had faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court and the next day ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Okay, I'm going to stop right there because here is somebody who isn't a believer, obviously, and he's just saying, you know, as a matter of fact, when he's describing this, he's saying, this is about a dead man. And Paul says he's living. I mean, like, what the heck? Why are you guys bothering me with this? You're, it's all about this dead man. So he's acknowledging that Jesus died. And, he's, and then Paul's saying that Jesus is alive. So he knows, and he said, this is just like some, I don't need to be in this. I mean, I just thought it was really interesting because here is somebody who doesn't believe who calls Jesus a dead man and said, you know, it's like, come on, people. 
And we, we still get that today, you know, but he's acknowledging that Jesus died. So again, other religions may say that Jesus never died, that he just, you know, went up to heaven like he never saw death. But here in scripture and in accordance with this trial that's happening, there is acknowledgement that Jesus was a dead man, but Paul is claiming him to be alive. So you can find that in Acts chapter 25, verse 19. Okay, going back to scripture, I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. So here's Paul before Agrippa. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought to not live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. I'm going to pause here again because, again, it's almost like I mentioned this like a couple Bible studies ago. But it seems to me like Paul is actually enduring some of what Jesus was enduring. Like he's seeing what Jesus went through with false accusations, with people wanting him to die. And, um, and then he has a ruler just like you know, Pontius Pilate, who said, I don't see this, this, that there's anything wrong with Jesus here, but, you know, you people get to decide what happens. Um, And it's, it's almost like history repeating itself. So Paul is experiencing this, like he's experiencing a little bit of what Jesus was going through, even with the flogging. So, okay, now going back to scripture. But I have nothing definitive to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I brought him before all of you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa. I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today. I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa. It is because of this hope 
that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were and and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I'm going to stop right there because that was the first time I heard about kicking against the goads and what does that mean? So the study Bible tells us, what does it mean to kick against the goads? A goad was a stick tipped with a pointed piece of iron used to direct and give and guide livestock. A a goad prodded them to pick up the pace if they If they slowed while plowing, ancient farmers poked their livestock just enough to steer them in the right direction. Oxen that fought the goad, kicking against it, often injured themselves. The phrase became a proverb describing those who resist authority. Anyone who challenged the gods was like an ox kicking against the goads. Paul, by persecuting Christians, had been challenging God's authority, kicking against the goads. So, and this is the voice said to me in Aramaic. I'll reread it. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So, then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I'm going to stop right there because Jesus just gave Paul a lot of information. And this information, I mean, he didn't just, I mean, Paul is retelling the story of what happened to him and what was said to him. And this is applicable to all of us today, there's, there's, you know, opening your eyes from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. Before somebody turns to God, 
We are under the power of Satan and we are blinded. We are influenced by evil. When we are um, living in worldly ways and really can relate to the majority of the world, we are blinded and this is a deception and a manipulation and we are in slavery, our bondage to sinful ways because of Satan who rebelled against God. And if a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they are more easily influenced by the evil realm, by the power of Satan. Satan has power. God gave Satan power. God gave Satan authority for a, an appointed time. It's not going to be forever. But right now, we are in a world where Satan has authority. And if you don't know that, that means you're still in a state of being blinded because scripture hasn't opened your eyes to it. The more you study scripture, you're going to find out that's the truth and you will see it. And you can see it by, if you want to go to the book of Galatians chapter five, verses 20 through maybe 25 or so, it talks about the fruit of the spirit. If those fruits of the spirit are not evident and it, I mean, actually, all of chapter five would be good to read because it talks about those who are under the power of Satan, what you will see in someone's life, and those who have the Holy Spirit, what you will see in their life. And there are two differences. Um, there are two different ways, and you will be able to identify people who are being guided or influenced. And nobody wants to say that they're being, well, some people maybe want to, you know, say that they're being influenced by Satan, but I would say not everyone would want to say that. Um, but some people do. But anyway, um, so it is true, though. I mean, like, Satan is influencing and manipulating and deceiving people because Satan is angry with God. Satan wants to destroy what God loves. God loves all people. Satan wants to destroy all people. And he knows what will destroy people. Satan knows what will separate us from God. He's going after the affection of God. What God, the affection of, you know, the, like they said, the apple of God's eye, the people that God loves, all of us, Satan is going against us. We are battling a spiritual battle. We, that's what, I mean, we, and so we need, it's not stronger than us. The, the spiritual influence is stronger than us in every aspect, either through Satan or through God. So the question is, which spirit is influencing your life? By default, we have the spirit of Satan that's influencing our lives. We have to decide. We have to reject that and turn to God and ask God for his spirit. So it's like, which spirit do you want controlling your life? 
because you're either going to have Satan's spirit or you're going to have God's spirit. And we all start out in the same place. We all start out with Satan's spirit influencing us. That's our natural self. And it's unfortunate, but it's the way that it is. And we have to make that decision and submit ourselves to God. We have to humble ourselves, get rid of the pride to say, we are not, you know, like there's going to be people that say, I am not, you know, they they don't have the Holy Spirit, but they're going to say, I am not guided by Satan. No, I'm not. And it's just deception that eyes are not opened. And no one wants to feel guilty. I mean, no one wants to be convicted like that. Like that's, that's awful to hear. Nobody wants, I'm going to say like, generally speaking, nobody wants to hear that. And somebody will get really angry about that because it's like, you're, you know, you're saying that everybody is empowered by Satan (laughs) and Satan is influencing. I mean, when you like keep going after sin and you keep trying to find happiness and joy through material things, through anything that is other than God, you are being influenced. We are being influenced by Satan. And we're not strong enough to fight against Satan. We, they're at a higher level. They have more power than human beings do. So the only way that we can fight that is spiritually. It's by telling God, I want to be on your team. I want your spirit to protect me. I want your spirit to guide me. And I reject your enemy's spirit. I reject everything about your enemy. And I'm going to turn away from sin. And I'm going to ask you, God, to guide me with your spirit and protect me. If, if anyone knows the Lord's prayer, Jesus is the one that gave that to everyone. It's in scripture and the Our Father prayer. Think about every word of that prayer, and it tells you that. It tells you, deliver us from evil. I mean, a lot of people can say that prayer, and they know that prayer, but do they really know what those words mean? Have, has anyone really reflected? And it's talking about God's kingdom coming. It's talking about Jesus's return. There's a lot in the words that people say that people don't reflect on when you grow up in a religion and you don't think about it, when you come from no religion and you learn it for the first time, you're really actually in a better spot because you haven't been indoctrinated into a certain belief. But if you can just get the Bible and be in prayer with God, you're going to have a quicker time coming to faith than if anybody else has ever taught you a certain way unless you were raised up in a true gospel preaching church, then you would have the truth. If, you, if they are the foundation of that church is the Bible, and if they encourage people to read the Bible, if they have Bible studies and everything goes back to what does the Bible tell us, you should probably be safe. You Hopefully, just read the Bible, though, because people twist words of the Bible or they emphasize things, but don't give you the whole story. So it's so important for all of us to know for ourselves, to go to the Bible, to get our answers from the Bible. And 
the, the church is a community that should be encouraging, that should be supportive of people in their faith journey. That's what the church should do. The church should continue to encourage people in the journey to stay close to Jesus. Um, that's what the purpose of the church is. And for friendship and for like-minded people, that's where the church falls in. But our faith should really be based on Scripture, on the Word of God and our belief, not what a church teaches us. Because a church, you know, uh, as people have said, and it's true, that Satan has infiltrated the churches too. So there is deception among churches as well. And that's why we just have to go back to the Word of God and protect ourselves. Because nobody is going to stand and give an account on our behalf we're going to have to face God directly. Now, Jesus has covered those who believe in him. So Jesus is the intermediary between, you know, um, in our judgment. So those who are in Christ do not have to face the second death because we've already prepared ourselves. The ones who have not prepared by receiving, by being born again, um, those will have to face God and give an account for everything they have done. And um, I don't know, maybe believers do too, but um, they're not going to be condemned to the second death or the burning lake of sulfur. They've, that's one thing that people definitely get to avoid. And, um, but I, we may have to give an account. I'm not really sure. I'm, that's a question. Again, I don't have that answer and don't, just believe anything that I say, check scripture. But I only want to tell you the truth from what I found in scripture. And um, everything I say is going to be backed up with scripture. And if it's my opinion, I will tell you it's my opinion on something. But it's just, you know, so Paul is recanting that Jesus was saying, you know, he wanted to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that why, you know, why do you turn away from sin and turn to God? Well, it's so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So it comes in the belief of Jesus, like we have faith that Jesus died on the cross, that he raised from the dead, and that Jesus is still living. That's our faith what Jesus said, and we learn about Jesus through the gospel. That's how we learn about Jesus. And we will be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit starts to change us. That's why we need the Spirit. That's why I just always fall on, you know, how do you be, how are we saved? It's by what Jesus said to Nicodemus, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again born of the water and born of the spirit. Born of the water is repentance, turning away from sin and turning towards God. And then born of the spirit is receiving the Holy Spirit. That's how we will be immortal. That's how we will be raised from the dead. That's how we will be changed to immortal beings. The two things, that's what God said. We need to have to be, that's what Jesus said, that we need to have to be in God's kingdom. So, I mean, I'm taking the words of Jesus, what he said, 
And when he, then he told his disciples, he said, go and make disciples of others and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there was a point in time when John was first baptizing, he was baptizing repentance. He was baptizing for um, turning away from sin and you know asking for forgiveness. But then Jesus came with the Holy Spirit. And even John the Baptist said, I'm preparing for Jesus, but Jesus is bringing something greater. He's bringing the Spirit. So that's how we get the Holy Spirit is through Jesus. So that's why if people don't believe in Jesus, they won't receive the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they won't be able to be in God's kingdom. So John chapter 3 tells us all of that about being born again. So I'll go back to scripture. Um, so then King Agrippa, I w- this is Paul continuing to tell his story. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in, Dis- in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So I'm going to stop again here because the part about repentance is left out of many churches today. But even Paul, who is the one who says, we are saved by grace through faith, you know, everybody emphasizes the grace, like none of us are perfect. We're all sinners. We're saved by grace. That is true. But what about repentance? You can't have grace without repentance. If you don't have repentance, if you don't turn away from your sin, number one, if you don't have your mindset to turn away from sin, is Jesus going to give you the Holy Spirit? If he gives the Holy Spirit to someone who's not turned away from their sin, don't you think wickedness would prevail everywhere? I mean, just think about it logically. So repentance is required and you have to be right with God. And then when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit starts changing your life so that you start wanting the things of God. You no longer desire the sinful things, the things that kept you away from God, that made you an enemy to God, that made you rebellious to God. The Holy Spirit does that. But you need to submit to God and ask God for the Holy Spirit and come with a true heart that you really want to be forgiven from the past, from anything that separates God and that separates us from God. And this is an individual basis, um, but the evidence, it says they demonstrate their repentance in their deeds So the way somebody lives in the world is showing if they have repented because of their deeds. It's not that you earn your way to salvation, but the way that you live shows that you've changed your life. There has to be evidence of change. Someone hasn't repented if their life has not changed. Just saying, I want forgiveness, 
doesn't do anything. You have to change. You have to change. You have to want to change. You don't go back to what you've been doing all along. And the good thing is that God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us because don't try to do it by yourself. Don't, you know, go to God right away and just say, God, I need help with this. And when God sees that you are earnestly seeking him, do you think he's going to turn you away? No, he wants you in his kingdom. We have to get rid of the pride that we're okay, that we don't need a savior. I mean, that's, you know, some people that are prideful think I'm fine the way I am. I'm a good person. I do all these good things. Well, that doesn't necessarily cut it. Have you repented? Have you asked Jesus for the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Go to Galatians chapter 5 and read Fruit of the Spirit. Or if you're living in a worldly, if you're in the, as the Bible calls it, the flesh, if you're living according to the flesh, what describes you more? Is there evidence? Is there proof? And this is for your own benefit. This is not to condemn anyone but to seriously look at your own life. at I had to look at my life, and every day I, I want to live more like the way Jesus wants us to live. Do I mess up? Yes, nobody's going to be perfect. So if you say that, well, you know, you look at a Christian and you say, well, they did this, you know, and this is not fruit of the Spirit, so they must not be saved or whatever. That's not true because people mess up. People are going to continue to mess up. They're not going to be perfect until Jesus returns and makes that change from mortal into immortal bodies. At that point, that's when we'll be perfect. But the point is, people will still mess up. And at that point, I still believe that you need to go to God and say, I'm sorry about that. I messed up. Please help me not do that again. And you don't have to worry about losing your salvation when you have a mind or when you are thinking like that, when you want to be right with God, if you have the desire to be right with God, you know, you have to be humble and say, boy, I really messed up. You know, I know that's not something that you would want me to do, but I just did it. I blew it. Please forgive me. That's how I think God wants to have a relationship with us. I mean, this is a relationship with God. Think about your relationship with another person. If you do something wrong, do you just say, oh, they love me. I don't have to say I'm sorry for it. They know. I mean, how do you think somebody reacts to that? So think about God. Don't you need to say if you messed up that you want to repair your relationship with him? So my belief is that we have to continually ask God for forgiveness and to help us when we do fall. We don't keep doing that same thing and say, oh, I'm covered by grace. I don't have to worry about that. No, we have to ask God, help us. Because go back to the book of Revelation in the back of the Bible and read the letter that Jesus told John to write to each one of the churches. And look at what he said. He, he goes through things like these things you did good and this you did good, but you've got a problem with this. And he points out what that problem is. And he says, if you don't repent, and then he tells them what will happen. Or if you repent, then I will do this, like this reward thing. So here's the thing. These are all the church. These are believers. And Jesus is saying, you need to still repent. You're not 
Like Jesus's death on the cross and resurrection was a one and done thing for us. Like he took care of it. But our repentance isn't a one and done thing. We have to keep focused on God, keep focusing on the way that we're living and keep trying to live the way God wants us to live. We have to stay in relation with God. We have to stay, as Jesus called it, connected to the vine. If apart from the vine, we can do nothing but connected to the vine, and the vine is Jesus, God, and um, then we, you know, like all things are possible when we're connected to God. And you will see that in these miracles that happen throughout the book of Acts about what happens to people who have the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit can do. These are supernatural things that are not possible in a human sense. These are like, that's why they're called miracles, because it's something supernatural. So I'm going to go back. I've kind of lost my place here, but oh, I know where it is. Okay. So I'm in verse 21. I'll try and wrap this up quickly. Um, So Paul's still continuing his um, case. He goes, uh, this is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said that would happen, that the Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free, if he had not appealed to Caesar. So why couldn't Paul be set free? According to Roman law, a lower court could have dismissed the charges levied against Paul. Agrippa and Festus found no evidence of wrongdoing, but the apostle had asked to stand trial before Caesar himself in Rome. Paul's request protected him from a Jewish ambush and gave him an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the Roman emperor. However, it appears that once such a request was made, it could not be rescinded. So again, think about this. Jesus came to him and told him that he was going to, you know, first he was witnessing in Jerusalem, 
and then he was going to go to Rome. So that was something that Jesus told Paul um, in an earlier chapter. Um, it Okay, it was back in chapter 23. It said, because Jesus appeared to Paul or whatever, he said, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. So Jesus is with him in spirit. And he's told Paul, you're going to have to go to Rome. So look at how these natural things are happening and are making it God's will happen. So God's will always prevails. Next chapter will be 27.